0: The information contained in this podcast is provided for your general information only. It does not give medical advice or engage in the practice of medicine. This massage podcast under no circumstances recommends particular treatment for specific individuals and in all cases recommends that you consult your physician or local treatment center before pursuing any course of treatment. Good afternoon and welcome to the Massage Podcast. This is episode 29. I'm your host, Don Adkins, along with our producer Jorge Cisneros. And Elaine Kalinda will not be with us today. You can if you need to check out our website, please do. It's Massagepodcast.com. You can leave us a message on our contact page. You can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Or you can leave a voicemail or send a text at 303-656-9860. And today we have a special guest, Melanie Russell. She is our ethics expert and she's been teaching ethics for 16 years, practicing massage for 27 years. She also works at the Boulder College of Massage Therapy. And we'd like to welcome you, Melanie. Thank you for being here. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Tell us a little more
1: about yourself and um, how you ended up where you are today. Mm -hmm. I think my interest in ethics goes way back to when I was in school because our program didn't have anything about ethics at all. No program, no intention. We learned almost all of our ethics kind of on the go. So my motive always is to make it a little easier for people behind me coming through uh, to be aware, have a heads up, kind of know what to expect and how to make choices about it. Because at a time when I didn't get to have that in my program, I've I've learned it kind of on the run. And it's a little bit more difficult to do that way. And again, it's uh, kind of a good thing to have some heads up about what might happen and how quickly do I need to make decisions or can I buy some time to really help myself be most professional about how I choose to deal with a client. And be ready for anything that might happen. So my ethical concerns are not the way the law comes in. It's not the way the rules are either. It's really about my personal choice of doing the right thing. And so I'm always interested in helping people find that for themselves in their own way of making choice. Besides that, it's good to be here today with two former students. So I'm really Mm -hmm. thrilled to be here. She was our (laughs) ethics teacher Mm 10 years ago. (laughs) (laughs) Been a long time. I'm so, glad to be here.
0: So what are the trends or what have you been seeing over the years mm-hmm. uh, concerning ethics as far as laws, as far as what is required with AMTA or other insurance companies or the massage world Are different states have different ethics or is it a, a full spectrum, same thing across the board in the United States or... Mm-hmm. What can you tell
1: us about that? I think the national certification level was hoped for as a unifying effort to get all the states to consider the same things. But we still have individual states doing particular things according to the law, the things that they've discovered about ethics that that need a particular point of view for whatever reason. That's why we have so many different codes that we can check in with and see who's deciding in what way. The national effort though was really to help everybody be a little bit closer to the same page of what's expected, what do students need to know when they become practitioners, What can clients be informed about? Where are the grievances procedures, and so forth. The more regulated every state gets, the the more clear it is about what are those those ways of seeing the ethical uh, methods and and steps to take, the approaches to take for. Making ethical decisions, but we've come from uh, you know fifty different states having 50, 50 different ways of doing things, and even within different states, municipalities or cities might have different ways of doing things. So it's an effort to unify it the best we know how, still make it practical, and still consider what does everybody need to know. So we're the trend right now is to follow more and more of the national certification level with what are the the. Ways to to look at is there any uniform way of having a, a code book or a national standard? Each time you belong to a national organization, you'll get a different code. But they are, if you look closely, they're based on the same issues of how to be able to be effective and professional with what we choose to do. So we, I look for what are the terms that the state might represent for the the way the legalities go. In Colorado, I, I, I've encountered mostly sexual issues, um, inappropriate behaviors for either the client or the therapist, and watching how to clean that up comes from what the law says about it. And the ethical choice that we put before students is still the best preventative measure we can offer. But then the law comes by and says, but you didn't do this or you didn't do that, not to us as teachers, but to practitioners. So we'd like to catch those practitioners before they go out and make their mistakes with. Consider this and consider that when you're making your choice. And to stay on target, let's say with a sexual issue, to stay on target means you really have to separate your personal feelings from your professional feelings and stick with your professional, uh, kind of your attitudes and your performance as best as you can. The The newest thing on the horizon with the state is uh, a mandate that now to do undraped chest work, um, it, it needs their, uh, each practitioner needs to have a client sign a waiver saying that they are in agreement with that. So that's a legal piece that now we can take to the classroom and say, okay, you need to have a heads up about this. You need to know that this is a standard standardized way of law, and you have to follow that law. Prior to this, you didn't have to have anything of signature but when there's the vulnerability of a client on the table, it's kind of late to say, oh, by the way, will you sign this paper mm-hmm. for me? So it's kind of an intake question that has to be added now, and the paperwork needs to be done before the client gets on the table. That's where we can help train practitioners to be better prepared so they know that and are now abiding by that law. But that's the that's the most recent one that's come across our our plates.
0: So well, some of our listeners are um, contemplating massage therapy, or are in massage school. So maybe let's talk about some of what we mean by ethics in Mm -hmm. massage. And let's talk about the first one. Uh, Sexuality Mm -hmm. is definitely, I think, at the top of the list where massage therapists get in trouble Mm -hmm. and dating. So um, I know that, uh, let's say, for instance, a massage therapist is interested in a client. And the national certification says you cannot have contact with this person for six months. AMTA says three months before any kind of anything goes on. And I don't, what does that mean? Does that mean seeing the person at all outside of the massage therapy? um, That's what it's supposed to mean. Mm-hmm. Okay so you can't see them at all like right. we're not and it's even if we're not even talking about sex mm-hmm. you want that relationship to dissolve right before continuing anything with this person right so if someone is Um, not nationally certified, but they have an AMTA membership. Do they
1: follow the AMTA guidelines? They follow whatever procedures they've been given. So the national proceeds or kind of overrides the state, but statewide is expected. Everyone is supposed to know that before they practice. So we kind of hope that the state exposure is what you get and you will follow. But the national would override that in case there was a legal problem and it went to court. The national would have influence, but not as much as the state would have influence in deciding how was this treated? How was this handled? So that each state has its own rules regarding that. Yes. And Mm -hmm. do do we know what Colorado is? Well, in, it depends on. I mean, it's like well, no, that would be AMTA, for right? Colorado, the chapter. three month and mm-hmm. the six month and the year. We we usually follow psychotherapeutic law, which says no contact for six to a, six months to a year, which means mm-hmm. there's no money exchange. Mm-hmm. So, some phone telephone contact might be all right, but face to face is Email. not supposed to happen. Email is probably probably the best, the new technology now. Mm-hmm. So we've got to make space for that too. In the state of Washington, it's two years, two years, mm-hmm. and Florida. Florida has a stricter law. It's like never in California. Never. Mm-hmm, really? Never. Never. Mm-hmm. <laughs> wow. California's three years. So we we try to follow the laws that are already in place about what the intimacy of that relationship is all about and the trust factor of how the therapist is really responsible for the well-being of the client, whether they're in relationship professionally or not. So the personal relationship always takes second, uh, the second place in that Relationship, so we hold therapists more likely to be liable. Should anything go wrong, mm-hmm. we can't blame the client for this one, even if the client is the aggressor.
0: I did read an article, and I don't. I think it was um, Michigan or Ohio, where a woman started dating a client within too short of a time frame, mm-hmm. and he had an ex-wife who was upset about it. And sued her mm-hmm. and she lost. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's, so it's this is very important uh, to consider when, you know, if you mm-hmm. get someone on your table. And, you know, there's also so many gray areas with that too. Maybe you have someone on the table and in your own head something's going on, or you feel like there's a chemistry, but in their mind they, they have no idea what's going on.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And so you have to be very careful, you know, if it's
1: all in your own head. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, well, when we when we teach at the Boulder College of Massage, what we look for is how a client rec- a student recognizes that a client is the one setting up the the or initiating the feelings that might be happening. We also talk about and what happens when it's the countertransference or the mm-hmm. therapist getting their needs met uh, because of the client's attraction or whatever might be going on there. The third piece, though, is the mutuality: who speaks about it first, who's more responsible about the change making of the relationship, and w- where does the line get drawn, or who who speaks. First? First is the primary thing. So should anything go to a court of law the, the lawyers and the judge are really interested in who said what when mm. to find out where the where the transgression might have happened if it doesn't go that far and we're going to just stick with the ethical piece of it we want the therapist to understand they have more responsibility until there's been no exchange of money and no contact for six months then then it can become more mutual but for the longest piece of that six months the client is getting used to saying how will I mutually see that person instead of someone with power over me, uh, possible power differential being higher than mine, uh, so that we are more mutually attentive to each other. But until that is claimed by the client, the law sees it as the therapist is still responsible for anything that might go wrong. So let's say uh, a client um, doesn't say anything and the therapist is Letting it be known that there's an attraction and the client goes along with it kind of not too sure. And even three years out, the client finally says, you know, I didn't like what this was or I, I, I think this was not fair treatment or you misused me or anything like that. There can still be a going back to find out what was the path of timing for mm-hmm. when did the therapist end the working relationship and give the client time to make his or her own decision about it. That's what that six months is for. Mm -hmm. So if it, you know, if there is anything that's not legally applied and ethically, we're kind of, oh, it'll be all right. Or, oh, it doesn't matter. Then the law looks at it a little differently with no, where are the exact dates where there was a mistake being made? And usually in the state of Colorado, what we find is that the practitioner is the one at fault. So we have to be extra careful. We can't, create this client responsibility about this decision. And we have to be on our toes about knowing how to do this properly. Mm -hmm. So we don't hurt anyone's professional or personal sense Mm -hmm. of self.
0: So, okay. So let's say a therapist does, uh, within a month, see a client. They've Mm -hmm. decided of course to end their professional relationship. We're still in the wrong. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, something goes awry Mm -hmm. and the client's upset Mm-hmm. And they want to get back the therapist. Mm-hmm. So they go to court and they're going to sue the therapist. And
1: w- so, what is he suing for? Is he mm-hmm. suing for harm? Harm in the trusted relationship. Mm-hmm. There are several, like school teachers have that, uh, elementary school or high school teachers uh, have that same responsibility in public education. It's not just a massage situation where a person of power and trust um, is is held to a higher level of responsibility for the well-being of the, the lesser, or the more vulnerable, the lesser powered one. And there's an expectation that the law will step in and say, you misused your power. And that's where those things begin to be decided about stopping that and, and stopping the practitioner from staying in the wrong. So a grievance board would be the first place, okay. like we have the, the DORA, the Department of Regulation Agency, to help understand the procedure and the process of the grievance. And once it's registered, then the state might step in if there's a bigger grievance than, that, they, that they see than the client has seen. That's when the law can get involved. If the client decides to go straight to a lawyer and say this happened and it's not right, then the lawyer can go after the therapist without even going through Dora. Mm. Mm-hmm. And
0: they, so they can sue for damages, right. quote unquote mm-hmm. damages. Of
1: inappropriate inappropriate use of the relationship. Uh, I
0: see. Mm-hmm. And so the from there, uh, something um, less involved would be friendship with mm-hmm. clients. Mm-hmm. Um, say you, you meet someone who's really cool. Mm-hmm. You want to hang out. Have some coffee, do things. Mm-hmm. Now,
1: what are um, how do we, how do people get in trouble with that? With that,
0: generally, situation? it's the
1: same thing. It's not mutual yet. It takes a long time for a friendship to be where the therapist gets to speak from his or her own experience and opinion and uh, the the feelings, the thoughts that the therapist has. Becoming more mutual and exposed in a friendship means that the re- the professional relationship is going to change. Mm-hmm. I, I teach this all the time, that every time I make a real true friend out of a client, I usually lose them as a client. Right. And therefore, I have to measure very carefully how much power I'm in when I'm listening to them and how much do I offer outside that massage setting, so that a coffee or a tea can be occasional, but not a regular thing, and definitely not a wine situation where we're drinking alcohol or anything that could change the nature of my ability to hold the boundary. So I kind of feel like if there's more talking that needs to be done, I first check to see, is this a therapeutic level that needs to have attention from a different kind of professional? Or are we moving more toward friendship conversation? I might not say it quite that formally to a client, but I have to determine that to make sure I'm not overstepping and my personal and my professional boundaries. And I must maintain my professional ones to really hold in good st- in good status what the profession says about friendships and it's tricky it's not an easy decision to make and a lot of people that are my clients are also very lovely people that mm-hmm. would make wonderful friends mm-hmm. but i have to remember that this is a money exchange that means the power differential is always already set in their favor and i have to respect that mm-hmm. so they don't get hurt mm-hmm. by it
0: well and it does it does take time for that therapeutic sure. relationship to dissolve and i've i've even run into some of my clients out in the streets or at a at an event or something and it's always very strange to me mm-hmm. i feel awkward like mm-hmm. they feel weird too and we mm-hmm. kind of don't know what to say and we're just kind of like hi mm-hmm. and then we move on quickly like there's no conversation it's a very strange thing right. So
1: I've encountered clients in the general public who won't make eye contact. They've already seen that I'm in the arena, but they won't make eye contact for because whoever they're with, they don't want that relationship to be known you know, or, or revealed. So, right. boy, I stick with that. The minute I see their eyes turn away from me, I also turn my eyes away from them. So there's no inadvertent sort of loss of their integrity of what they're protecting. Uh, it is it is a very mindful thing that most of us as therapists have to stay in to make sure we don't again by accident step on the toes of the client's protection or their safety, their confidentiality. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. So to um, just to kind of
0: wrap up that first section that we talked about and summarize so if there are state laws with dating, there are whoever you're in the your your insurance carrier laws with dating and there's also the national certification for dating correct and so make sure you know them And just go with the longest one. So if someone says a year, go with a year, Mm -hmm. right?
1: Correct. (laughs) That is correct. It's, It's advisable when we're not going to go into the specifics of the rules and the laws to know how to find that out. In other words, that's the biggest thing, too, is to be proactive in finding the information so you're not guessing. If you guess incorrectly and it does go to court, it'll probably bite you. You It'll come back to bite you. So it's a good idea to pursue what does the law say about this if I'm unclear and and the rules look different per code book. I need to know what what am I really working with here to make the best possible decision. Mm. I would always go first to the state's regulation agency and then to the national.
2: How how much things uh, have changed, uh, Melanie, from the time that you became a massage therapist Mm. till now? Because I'm trying to to think about what we are talking here about the changes in the law. So I'm thinking if I've been a therapist for 30 years and I got my training 30 years back, things have changed And uh, how much people keep up with ethics. How could see some practitioners out there can, can keep up with all these changes on the ethics field?
1: I find that the questions that I get most often about the changes are if I'm going to move to a different state, Uh, what do I need to know and where do I need to go? That's been, as a teacher, my biggest challenge is to find out all 50 states and what their requirements are. But as far as Colorado, I try to help students and practitioners to see that not a whole lot has changed. And some of the dilemmas are the same. No matter how long I've been teaching this, they are the same. We are all human beings and our boundaries getting really close to each other creates the same need for propriety. So sexuality, uh, body odor, um, the different things about the power differential, conversation, confidentiality. I, I don't think those have changed one whit since I went to school. Not not at all, not really. But how people handle it or how how savvy they are about the law has changed a lot because regulation has gotten tighter. And I think that's a protective measure for both, the therapist and the client. And I think it's valuable that there's protection for both. But then that takes into consideration that the therapist has to be very well informed all the time. So whether they change a lot or not, it's still our responsibility to find out. What's new? What do we need to know? What what helps? I still say, um, Elaine and I have talked about this a lot, that the laws change very slowly, but they're very clear when they get changed that they are just a step stronger than they were before. So the sexual laws in Colorado have gotten tighter and stronger, more clarifying, and that's really helpful to know that. So there's no gray area around the sexuality that might show up in a session. So not a whole lot of new ones, but how we interpret and how we use them very clearly needs some help and support. So we recommend that you take an ethics class at least every five to 10 years to know know, what's new and what, what are you finding in your practice that needs clarification.
0: I, well, I can say, too, because I am nationally certified, and to renew my national certification, we have to have a certain amount of continuing education credits, and six of them have to be ethics. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I think the AMTA may require for you to renew. Yes. They, need, they want to see an ethics class somewhere in there Correct. at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, I know they require a certain amount of CEUs, but the national certification takes care of that.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, Online, you can take classes Mm -hmm. and pass tests and so forth. What you miss in that, and I think they're valuable because they're convenient, but what you miss in that is the discussion that somebody else might bring. If you have 10 people in a class and they all give an opinion, you might hear things you hadn't even thought of Mm -hmm. yet, and it might help you to broaden your selection of options for the the way you'd like to handle something that might come up for you. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you just take it online, you're just counting on your own brain and your own experience, and that might be too limited sometimes. So Classes do help. We offer two a year uh, for continuing education at, at, at the, BCMT. Mm-hmm. How mm-hmm. long is that class? Uh, it's, a, it's a full day. So it's usually a Saturday in October and a Saturday in March. Oh, good. So that'll cover the national certification requirements. It Mm -hmm. does. Yeah, that'd be Mm -hmm. fun to do. Yeah. I've done the online ones a couple of times. And I've been teaching it now for several years. I must say, I really enjoy hearing what people are bringing in. And I'd like to say, wow, this is a new tough piece to chew on. But they're not. They're the same, same things in different language and with different levels of, oh, my gosh, I just didn't know what to do, that we can talk through and say, what would you have liked to have done? Or what do you think would have been a better? choice. And then other people can, well, if it were me, I would have done blah, blah, blah. Kind of helps that person get reassured that they did their best. And yet there's some other ways to, to handle or approach the problem that comes up. So we spend a certain amount of time with history in the class we ser- and, and updates on the laws and the legal aspects. But the rest of the day is spent in, okay, let's do some situational ethics and find out who's got what coming to their table in their sessions. And those are extremely helpful for everybody to learn from.
2: Uh, now, thinking about the changes, I was thinking just about social network.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: I, I have this friend who is, she's not a massage therapist, but she's a therapist. And she had that conflict where clients started to contact and make her a friend mm-hmm. within Facebook. Mm-hmm. And she got to the point where she wanted to establish that being clear, you're not my friend. Mm-hmm. You are my client. Mm-hmm. So she started to kind of remove those friendships and, you know, sometimes you, people, you, you could hurt their, their feelings mm-hmm. thinking what's going on. It's just, but it's just a different aspect of things that didn't happen 10 years ago mm-hmm. so with social networks. Now it's, it's something that is happening. Right. Uh, how could you not cross that line between being a therapist and your client?
1: I try to help almost everybody. It is technology that's very helpful in so many different ways and does actually probably offer potential clients as Facebook openings and that sort of thing can happen. But I try to help them put it in the context of, would you do a Facebook contact with your dentist? or with your medical physician and expect the same opening to friendships through that. Most people, oh, yeah, they kind of get the professional thing needs to have boundaries for a reason. So if we just put it in a different context, usually they get it that oh, yeah, I, I wouldn't expect my medical doctor to become friends on Facebook. So then then it's easier to see why we choose to keep that pretty tight with med, with our uh Professional clients too for ther- massage therapy.
0: Well, and the, the company I work for, they created a Facebook page so people can like us. Mm-hmm. But the Facebook page, um, you, so, know, you can have a professional Facebook page like us. It's a business. Like it's a business. Yes. Mm-hmm. And so on there, we offer articles, uh, tips, mm-hmm. information uh, information about our therapists. And um, so that I like. That
2: helps. Yeah. yeah. That I helps know. as a business. It's when you are friendship. like a solo practitioner, is when. Just get right. complicated mm-hmm. because I have seen that people getting to contact you and be your friend, right? Between quotes and Facebook,
1: and I think that's the biggest drop. If the professional level is informational or educational, of course it's wonderful. It's when we drop into the personal need level that we switch. That's where mm-hmm. there's there needs to be a boundary for how how to keep it educational information I could do that all day long on Facebook but the minute it's a personal question or a personal need getting requested then I have to check into my "Mm, that goes a little bit beyond what my my defined area of professional is Mm. that goes into the personal Mm. got to keep those separate
0: yeah it's constant you have to pay attention I mean I catch myself little stupid subtle things Mm -hmm. that I catch myself doing with clients I mean not that's detrimental to their health right. or anything, but mm-hmm. yeah, the boundaries start to mesh a little bit and you're really friendly with a client or, you know, the things that get talked about and you realize like, I've totally caught myself turning it all around mm-hmm. and having them comfort me and mm-hmm. it's like, Ooh, and it happens. We're human. I mean, that's, right. we do right. that and we're all going to make mistakes. So that's what we have our ethics coach here for. So... Let's talk about some of the other issues that people come across in ethics. Mm-hmm. We've covered sexuality, dating,
1: friendship, and mm-hmm. what are some other things that um, ethics covers? Mm-hmm. I think the confidentiality issues are huge. Mm-hmm. There is that thing of what if my mother is my client or my best friend is my client? Did we talk about that in a session or did we talk about that over coffee last week? Mm-hmm. Where you hold the memory of where each thing has to be protected is a sometimes a challenging thing for therapy. We're, we're friends don't, doesn't everybody know the same thing I know about you and the answer is no mm-hmm. because in the session for therapy something might come up that's very deeply personal and no one else knows about it so remembering that when I'm in a social setting and not over overdoing my my ability to be mm-hmm. confidential oops, I don't, yeah, I don't want to do too many wine. oops right exactly <laughs> so that's confidentiality is a big one um, I think students sometimes who become practitioners have a, have trouble claiming their uh, their professionalism, let's say a physician writes them a letter and says, I want all the records you have for such and such client. We're working on a case with this client and I need all your records. Some practitioners don't know that they have the right of refusal. They do not have to send back records or copies of records to that physician unless it's gone through the client first to get permission. So that that confidentiality can't be broken either. In other words, there's a real line about, even though that's a doctor and I'm a massage therapist, I don't have to yield to the doctor about how I hold my records for each client. So I need to remember that I have the power to say, no, we need to get permission from the client or you need a legal subpoena for me to have my records coming to you. So that's a protective piece of confidentiality also that, that kind of shows up from time to time. Let's see other issues. Usually we have a um, kind of the advertising and watching advertising a lot of advertising now also has the the technological range of going all over the map with how you can advertise where your name and your business cards might show up. Um, people with not very good intentions might take your business information and put it somewhere you don't want it to be. In other words, in a in a publication that is about sexuality, you don't want your name to, to show up. And I've heard of a few practitioners who said, I, I did not ask for my, or pay for any advertising in that magazine. Do I have a right to sue them? And it's like, that's a very, that's a lawyer's question that's to ask. A, that's slander. Yeah, it is. If you have a situation where your name shows up in a place that you didn't agree to have it. But someone doing that to you just to, to play a joke or to u- misuse your information for whatever reason is something we have to stay uh, very attuned to also to try to prevent that from happening.
2: One step back to confidentiality. As I was thinking, um, what happens in the case I've been involved now with radio when you have a show and the therapist or the doctor is saying, oh, let me tell you about this client. Mm -hmm. They don't say names, but Mm -hmm. they describe the situation. Mm -hmm. What happens if the client happens to listen Mm -hmm. and say, that's me? Mm -hmm. Can they sue the person?
1: They can. And it's a, a defamation sort of thing of you, you put my characterizations in public. And even if you didn't mention my name, other people might be able to identify who I am. So they can take that to through the courts and try to find a way to get compensation or a cease and desist uh, sort of edict against the physician or whoever's using the information. It's no guarantee that you'll get them to stop, but at least they need to have that called to their attention, that they misused a personal client's information and they had no right to do so.
2: So let's say if in the case that it's a good testimonial for that person, the therapist, the doctor, mm-hmm. he or she should have permission from the mm-hmm. client to say you know yes. i'm going to be in this radio show and i would like to bring your yes. case i'm mm-hmm. not going to say your name so that would be the kind of the way the way to protect himself. it
1: is it is and when i teach something that is that a client has shown to me i always ask that client for permission to use it in a classroom okay. and i'll give you an example this is a little bit of a confidentiality piece, but I have a client that I've had for years and he's a really good upstanding person. I think he's got a good ethical code himself, but he has a hard time relaxing a really hard time. And he knows that we wrestle and fight with his muscles every once in a while. So I jokingly said to him, you know, next time you come in, you probably ought to have a beer before you come in. And we laughed and then we kind of let it go. And then the more I thought about it, it's like, I hope he doesn't take that as, as advice. But he called me one time. He says, I'm really uptight. I know I'm supposed to come in uh, tomorrow and I'm not sure what I'm going to do, but I'm really stressed out. And so I said, well, what did you think of the suggestion to have a beer first? And he said, well, I, I actually think that will help me because that's when I really relax. Normally I teach that you don't encourage anything about alcohol in in the body of your client, but it worked with him. He, he relaxed, we weren't fighting anymore to be able to get deeply into the tissue, and the result was quite good. But I asked for permission if I could ever use that as a teaching model of, here's what you almost never do, but here's a case where you can do it, you know, or, where it worked out. Sometimes I like to use those from my client base, but I must get permission from them before I do that. And I still say, if I'm doing something like this, where it would be a radio example, I would try to make sure that nobody could really identify who I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Because I think that would help the client to stay anonymous
2: too. Yeah,
0: yeah, Mm -hmm. and most of the time when I, because I know, what's I will just mention, hey, I have this client. Mm -hmm. You know, is
2: I mean, we're always very generic, but I'm saying sometimes, sometimes you know, I have heard people not here in our podcast, but outside on radio where they go into too much detail. Mm -hmm. Oh, so Mm -hmm. I would feel hurt as a client Mm -hmm. saying, you know, you're giving too much details, even if you're not given the name, right? Mm -hmm. You know. Uh, I, I'm thinking they could get in trouble. Just uh, right. I, I believe okay. they have good intentions most of the time, mm-hmm. but it's just when do you cross that line right. where people can hear you or identify a person and say, I'm going to sue you because mm-hmm. you use my case. Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: well, well, let's ask, because once in a while, I'll have a, a client with an issue, and I have a client another client with a very similar issue, and mm-hmm. I'll say, oh, I have
1: another client who has the same issue, mm-hmm. and she did this or that i mean is that okay as long as you're not advising or recommending from that example, it's like other people have told me this could be the, the case. Let's let's use the the urinary tract infection with what should I do if the if the client says, Well, I've had a client who tried cranberry juice and it worked for the client very well. Well, since we can't diagnose and we can't prescribe, mm-hmm. we're kind of in trouble to say cranberry juice in the first place. Mm-hmm. But if we want to make it a generic and make mm-hmm. it so it could be applicable for the client who's asking, I'm not Another client tried it and it really worked for her. Right, okay. You can say something like that. Yeah, Mm -hmm. or I tried it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah. You just have to be careful how you phrase it so there isn't, and in small cities or places where it's easy to identify by experiences being spoken, Mm -hmm. it might be way too easy to identify who that is they're talking about. Mm -hmm. So you do have to pull in enough disguisers so Mm -hmm. it doesn't look like a specific person. Right, okay, Mm -hmm. good.
0: Yeah, once in a while I'll do that and I think, am I allowed to do that? Is Mm -hmm. that okay? Mm -hmm. I didn't mention names so
1: we're she mm-hmm. still anonymous completely so mm-hmm. do you remember from class the famous salad bar one that I used to teach mm, can't no? remember that 10 one. years is a long it's time it's a long time yes a I'm glad you still remember me 10 years <laughs> 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 your brain cells are dead no. but I think the, the major one that I've used because I was in it is the, the fact that I was meeting three other therapists for dinner one night and came into the restaurant and heard their conversations as I was coming in and one of the three at the table while they were waiting for me to come in was talking about this awful client she had just had, all the trouble this client had created, and oh my gosh, she did this and she did that as loudly. I mean, I could hear it from the door as I entered. So I walked over to the table and I said, hey, let's go ahead and get our salads and and kind of let this conversation die down. But the person who was talking was still agitated by the experience all the way around the salad bar was talking about the experience. And on our way back to our table, she turned and looked and looked at some of the people around our table and guess who she saw? (gasps) It was that client. You know, I vaguely remember that yes, story. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So as she was kind of choking, you know, on, on her own breath, we all got back to the table and she says, now what am I going to do? Since we were all therapists, it kind of helped to have a, a good base of, yeah, what, what are your options here? What can you really do? Had she not done something in the moment, I fear that too much time would have gone by for the client to realize that was public defamation oh, she could and have been, could have sued her. Mm-hmm. So we quickly started throwing options like, "Go oh, give her a free money offer to give her a free massage, apologize profusely, put it in writing, do whatever you can to help this woman forget that this happened in this restaurant. I don't know how you recover from something like that. Right. Well, it was pretty humiliating, but she just very quietly went over to the client and said, you probably heard me talking and you probably recognized who I was talking about. I am so sorry. And fortunately the woman accepted the apology and a free massage to, to replace the mistake that had been made. mm -hmm. So she went back? Mm Mm-hmm. I think that was it, though. I think the free massage was the last okay, session. I, was, I don't even yeah. think I'd
0: go in for the free massage after mm-hmm. someone talking. Let me don't yeah. talk about me like that.
1: But she didn't take any legal action, action. so I think it helped for this one therapist to have mm-hmm. the rest of us there to kind of whoa, don't don't let this one go by.
0: Well, I think um, I think there's a lot of people out there who don't really underst- or know mm-hmm. how much. They could hurt us mm-hmm. if they really wanted to. Right, mm-hmm. and I'm grateful for that. So all the mistake, little mistakes I've made here and there that mm-hmm. I probably could have gotten in trouble for, have been forgiven, mm-hmm. <laughs> or not fortunate. even known that I do
1: did, did anything wrong. So very fortunate.
0: Yeah, so it's uh, it's good, but you never know who, who's going to
1: come along. Who does know? I think ours is a risky profession for that very reason, mm-hmm. because I still say if a dentist works on your teeth that's one area and that's the only thing that's going to happen we don't expect any mishap I- any mishaps i've heard of the noc- uh, nitrous oxide mistakes of the the dentist being able to kiss a client while they're under uh-huh. the influence of a uh-huh. you know a drug yeah. for for uh, or an anesthetic of some sort but the idea to me is we have such personal contact and so much availability of personal information that we have to be double careful about mm-hmm. keeping clear of With our boundaries and protecting that client at all at all costs, and ourselves, and ourselves, right? Right. Yeah, Mm -hmm. and you know, sometimes I tell people,
0: um, I'll be if I've had a string of very busy days, Mm -hmm. and I'll I'll spend a day and a half holed up in my house Mm -hmm. and just doing what I need to do, eating good food, walking with doggy, and um, people just don't really understand how much it takes to be a massage therapist Mm -hmm. mentally, physically, spiritually. And emotionally. And emotionally Mm -hmm. to keep ourselves intact. And I think, um, you know, uh, someone I know who um, is a head of a bunch of massage therapists described, you know, trying to keep massage therapists in line is like herding cats. Yes, that's a good (laughs) description. (laughs) And that's true because we're all, I don't know, we're just... If we're a special group of people, and mm-hmm. <laughs> especially if we're in the trenches. Yes. So let's, um, uh, some other things about ethics. Um, so we're kind of on the confidentiality subject. So I know 10 years ago, I, rem- I don't know if you remember me asking you about someone who d- admitted to murdering someone. Yes. Uh-huh. <laughs> and w- the confidentiality with that, is that the mm-hmm. same or has anything changed? Like if someone has admitted that they killed their wife. hmm are we supposed to not say anything or any crime? Huh? In or the any crime? S- any crime right. that's very scary or right. that should be reported.
1: I know I've gotten paid a couple times from a criminal who is using uh, drug money, you know, to to have the massage to him pulling out a roll of bills and saying this is for my last good drug deal." With all this white powder on it. right? And I kind of no. <laughs> <I kinda> wonder <laughs> what, I'm, what I'm involved with. But well, that's, let's, that's a guessing. You don't know for right, sure. Right. Okay. The, the biggest thing that you're checking into is the, the legal accessory possibility that you know or you have awareness of some activity that it might be illegal. Mm-hmm. Fortunately on our side is the fact that everything we get is hearsay. If we didn't watch the murder happen or we didn't didn't watch the drug transaction, we are not responsible for it. We are protected by client-therapist relationship privacy uh, when we have heard those things. But I've got to say to you, years ago in my private practice, I also heard of a woman who killed her father and described to me in great detail how she did it. Yeah. Um, and I immediately, as soon as the session was over, I found an alternative healthcare lawyer to yeah. speak with. And without telling that person my name, it's like, do I need to have an appointment? Because this is a big thing for me and I want to talk about this. He gave me advice over the phone that was just no you're not liable you didn't see it so okay. you they couldn't prove that you knew the truth about the event so that that got me off the hook for the legalities of it but then there was also this but what wow. do i do yeah. yeah with this information because it's mean, a confessed lot to carry to you. exactly and i said if she hasn't confessed to anybody else is there something that needs to be done or known and he said no you have no right to take that information to anybody else so you you cannot reveal that to anyone so then I said so just what about me and he said well you go to a psychotherapist and download for a while and then let them decide what they're going to do with the information for their own processing (laughs) and he said it's got it's got to kind of push it off to someone else (laughs) (laughs) to me it was a matter of kind of Finding out that she needed a place to let go of it, and I could let go of it, too. I didn't need to do anything with it. And once I was safe with the legal aspect, then I I learned to just let go of it. But again, I mean, this this woman happens herself to have died since then. But I look at that with now I can use it as a teaching tool to see how extreme this can be with Mm -hmm. where it might take us with what we have to watch out for. What about somebody who's planning a murder? Mm Mm-hmm. Like I intend to kill my wife. Right. Another thing that fits into that is suicide. You know, if they're planning a suicide, you know, what, what responsibility do we have? Almost always I say, will you wait 24 hours before you act on it and give yourself time to really think of the consequences and think of what might happen? That's as much advice as I feel safe to give. But it still gives me a sense of if they've thought about it, slept on it, maybe things would look different the next day. If they carry it out, I still have client therapist privacy to what the conversation was. I would just hope that I can convince them to really think through, are you sure this is what you want to do? Mm-hmm. But after that, I, ha- I mean, it's kind of like you telling me that you're going to go uh, jump off the roof. You know, it's like, I, I can't stop you. No. There's nothing
2: I can really do to change your mind. But you were saying before, Melanie, that many, many times, like, for instance, in the state of Colorado, that we would probably abide with what might apply to psychotherapists. Mm -hmm. And I've seen situations with psychotherapists where the client is saying, I'm thinking about killing myself. Mm -hmm. And they, by law, Mm -hmm. they've been calling the police and saying, I have a person here who's making this statement and they have to report it. And when I have talked to them, they said... If I don't do it, and this person goes ahead right. and move forward, then I then I get in big trouble. Right. So would well, it be the same situation? They're trained.
1: Here? They're trained to do an assessment that we're not trained to do for psychological soundness and what their clients are telling them. And my guess is since they don't have the body issues, what they have to figure out is the psychological well-being of a person, again, that we're not trained to know how to do. Mm-hmm. So they're held to a higher scope of practice within what they can speak about. And they do have they do have an obligation to report anything that might harm a child or harm a human being, human life. And they take that a lot more seriously. But they also know how to find the questions that get to the truth of are you going to act on this, that we don't have responsibility to either ask, and in fact, it might be a little prying if we asked it. Um, We can hear that and offer our best wisdom about, gee, can you consider that a little bit before you do it? But we can't say stop or I'm going to report to the client because we we legally don't have the right or responsibility to do that.
0: One One more murder scenario. Okay. Okay. So let's say the client says, I am going to kill my wife tonight. Mm -hmm. Next day you see in the paper his wife is dead Mm -hmm. and they can't figure out who killed her.
1: Mm Mm-hmm can you call the cops then i think can you make an anonymous call this is where ethics changes from how we do the right thing to to the legal expectation right if if that if that person is not caught and doesn't come up to, I mean, they're going to be a suspect probably, but mm-hmm. if they aren't and they don't say, did anybody know about this? If they say my therapist did, it still falls under that privacy act of no revelation need need to I'm happen. I'm not going to get in trouble. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to get in trouble. But
0: if I wanted to turn them in, could I?
1: Well, that's, that's where ethics is different than law. Yeah. Ethics is still a personal choice okay. about a professional behavior. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. But then I... Yeah, you can worry about other things. Let's say I teach 100 people the same thing that we just discussed. 50% might say, I'm not doing anything. And 50% might say, I'm going to report. <laughs> Both are fine. Okay. You know, there's no right or wrong about either decision. He,
0: I don't want him to turn around and sue me for my right. confidentiality right.
1: problems. Which has happened.
0: So, yeah.
2: As yeah. uh, so I was thinking of the things that we could report from mm-hmm. the class we took a while back, mm-hmm. The few that, that I think we could report is like if we're working on a minor mm-hmm. and we notice bruises yes. that he's been abused. That's we, correct. We, we should do that. Good memory. So what happens in the in the case where I'm working with a with an adult, let's mm-hmm. say a woman, mm-hmm. and I've noticed bruises where I might suspect. It, it, let let's say that even she admits that she's she's abused mm-hmm. by somebody else. Can I report that? Or still, no. I cannot.
1: I can urge this woman to do her own reporting or to at least take care of herself with, are you sure this is the safest possible place for you to be? Do you do you want a repeated episode? You get to decide that. But I just want you to know, a repeated episode might happen. Do you know what you want to do about this? I still give the authority and the power to decide what to do back to them, but I'm not legally obligated. She could really be clumsy what I have a hard time with is when I see a, a hand wrapped around the arm and bruises it, and I can see all the f- five fingers that bruise the arm, and I know it was a hand that mm-hmm. held that mm-hmm. person. I have a hard time with that. So what I try to do is urge the client to choose to do something about the fact that they might be abused. That's And that's such a tricky situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, abuse is a huge
0: issue. A lot of women are, you know, they've been, it's like the army that gets stripped down emotionally and spiritually and uh, a lot of women even if the cops came they would choose to stay mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so that's something that they have to come very up with individual choice yeah mm-hmm. they have to be empowered themselves to do it mm-hmm. very rarely can someone step in and save them it has to be their choice
1: right so to go back to the reporting thing it still is a measure of I can't because if they are making an adult choice yeah. there's not much I can do about it but the the thing you mentioned about with a minor, if I've worked with a minor who has a consent form that's been signed by the adult that I get to notice or I get to bring to awareness anything that might be going on for the child non-medically, which could mean bruising, then first I would go to the parents and say, I'm noticing this. Does this does this have some behavior that I, I need to know about for this child to be falling off its bicycle or something like that? Mm-hmm. Or is this a little bit of a different nature of why this bruise is appearing? If the parent doesn't give me the truth then I do have the right to report. If I hear the child say, my dad beat me up last night, then I must report. Then I must report. But it really reduces my likelihood that I'm going to report if the parent is there and denies it. But if the child tells me or I see... From time to time, bruises that show up over and over again, then I'll just choose to report because I think that's just a, gotta gotta protect that child.
0: But really, if a if a parent is abusing their child, they're high, highly unlikely to bring them in for a for massage, massage if they're gonna right. Yeah, they're mm-hmm. not gonna care for them after they've been beating them. So. Probably not. Probably and not.
1: Most adults would choose not to let someone else see the handiwork of bruising Mm -hmm. their own child. So a massage is very unlikely that Mm -hmm. we would see it. I would suppose school teachers might see that more frequently than we would. Mm -hmm. Any other big ethics issues you'd want to discuss? I or think not off the top of your head I think the the usual things that keep coming up in classes have to do with uh, do we talk too much in a session or do we not talk enough? How do we choose the levels of talk Do we initiate or do we wait for the client to initiate conversation? How deep do we go with it? when mm-hmm. do we decide that it's psychotherapy instead of just general talk? Mm. A lot of those things come up with uh, the within the classroom arrangements that I have with students. Um, and most of them I'm speaking about continuing education now they're already professionals. So they've had experience with that. Students often have a hard time checking into what might happen or what could happen. So practitioners that come in for continuing education have already had Mm. some time to find out what are the patterns that I really want to know about. So they're actually learning at a different level. Um, one one of those students for continuing education came in and said, uh, one of my clients disrobes before I even get out of the room, you know, after the initial intake, what do I do about that? That is so weird. I've had a couple people do that and it mm-hmm. feels like a control
0: or power issue mm-hmm. to me. Yeah.
1: It would look like a freedom of I'm okay with my body. No, I don't care who sees it, but it, it doesn't it is, feel that way to yeah, me. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's kind of a, a, really a sense of I'm going to either rattle you because I enjoy it or right. I'm going to just do what I want to do. You know, right. Right. I want control of this session. I even had a uh, someone who was a massage therapist. Oh, really? <laughs> That's a little too familiar, isn't it? To yeah. Be, to be thinking that the boundary is that low that right. they could do yeah. do that because you understand or whatever.
2: I wanted to ask you, who gets in trouble more often, men or women as therapists? Well,
1: unfortunately, it's males and mm-hmm. m- more reports. Show up. It doesn't mean things aren't happening with female therapists too, but my guess is there's a lot more reporting that goes on with males mishaps, male therapists mishaps. Um, I, I looked this up a little bit um, some time ago to check to be sure I was correct. I look for the reporting in in at least Boulder County, and most of the reports are from female. Th- clients who've been sexually teased or invited or um, found out that there's some sexual aggression going on in the session that they didn't agree to or didn't say yes to, and they found it to be um, unacceptable. So they're usually the ones that report. Then there's usually an investigation to find out if there's any other... Uh, Things on record about that male therapist and then they approach the therapist with we've gotten a, a complaint about you and it goes further than that the client has to take action that's legal for a lawsuit. Have you seen any, what kind of um, grievances
0: have you seen against women therapists? Like, mm-hmm. have you seen any? And
1: it, it is very rare, but it is a sexual tease uh-huh. if men are going to speak up about it. I find that men have a harder time reporting that because they don't want to look like they didn't recognize a sexual tease and learn how to say no to it. Mm-hmm. Or they don't want to feel like they're they're being obstinate or some something that seems like, do other men do this? Maybe I can figure this out anyway on my own but just won't report it then, but it does happen to them. Are they from therapists that are kind of more on that end of the spectrum as far as prostitution possibly or... My guess is, and I don't know if people know this, but there's sexual activity and massage going on in Boulder almost all the time. It's available. It's just a matter of finding it. Mm -hmm. So I think males seek it out perhaps more than females do. Mm -hmm. But if they're seeking it, chances are high they're not going to report that something went wrong in the massage. Right. So in other words, it's a tacit agreement that that's what they want, so that's Mm -hmm. what they get.
0: So it seems like most of the grievances out there against therapists are sexual related. Usually. Not. Mm -hmm. Um, some other
1: there can be confusion aspect. about money, and that uh-huh. can get settled in small claims uh, yeah. court, uh, and might not go on the grievance toward the the registered therapist in in their file for, on the state level. But there might be other ways that things happen that are really minor, but an accumulation of things that happen very rare. That it, for females, it's anything but sexual misconduct too, and even that's minor compared to how males uh-huh. are
0: so those reported. Uh, gray areas we were talking about. Um, mm-hmm. I told you I read that article about the girl who dated the guy and mm-hmm. the ex-girlfriend or ex-wife
1: yes. was upset. Mm-hmm. Do, you, do you see a lot of that? I'm sure there's not a lot of that. where. Well, maybe not that exact thing, but there right. are several things where there's, Confusion of um, I've had this happen. Fortunately, I enjoy being kind of just a heavy set woman where this isn't a, a anything more than a joke. But I've had a couple clients who've said, male clients who said, "Is it all right if I take a picture of you on my on my handheld phone so I can take it home and reduce the the uh, guilt my wife is throwing at me about <laughs> seeing a massage therapist?" And in a way, it could be an insult, but in a, another way, it's it's a matter of. Uh, they need proof that you're not having an affair, right? right. Mm-hmm. And that's what they're trying to do is to keep themselves out of trouble with a wife or a partner mm-hmm. about not going to see somebody that is a threat to the marriage. Uh-huh. So, you know, depending on what mood I'm in, I either let them take the picture. Sometimes I just don't. It's like you can convince her. You can tell her this is therapeutic. Mm-hmm. You know, I'll give you a receipt if that would help you, you mm-hmm. know, something to keep it in a therapeutic realm. But I don't feel like I have to prove that there's nothing going on. Right. I think
2: that's up to them. So how about the tip of the week? Tip
1: of the week. We like to give
0: our listeners a tip of the week. It Uh can be anything off the top of your head for Mm -hmm. massage therapists.
1: I would just say... kind of check yourself. Make sure you feel good about the way you're presenting, the way you handle money, the way you you speak with clients, the amount of speaking you do. Just kind of stay aware of how your clients are responding to you. They're excellent teachers for how to keep our ethics clear and good. So just pay attention and see what your clients are asking for and where your patterns are really clean and where you're a little confused and get some help if you're confused. But Mostly just stay aware. It'll help you a lot and s- keeps you out of a lot of situations that can get sticky.
2: You were talking about issues with money. What are mm-hmm. the most common?
1: I think the ones that are confusing are, let's say you get a, a package deal and there might be six offered for a certain price. And the client might get confused about, well, isn't this number four three and say you're calling it number four mm-hmm, session mm-hmm. so then they don't want to get cheated out of a session's worth of money so you have to keep very good records and show them the dates or have the availability of the the timing so that or they ticket or something yes yeah, something mm-hmm. some receipt some way to show them that this is exactly how many times they've attended um, tips are confusing for some therapists you know how much is a good tip and how much hmm, kind of goes over the line with now is something expected because they gave me half as much as the Massage as a tip, mm-hmm. you know, as something expected next time. Mm. Anytime I get a an over the top acclamation of, oh, you're so good, or a tip that's usually large, I have to look at that with do I have to come up with that performance next time too? Or was it just my regular massage and they just mm-hmm. happened to like it a lot this time? So I think m- the monetary piece makes it even more gray and confusion uh, sets in about, well, they gave me $25 as a tip. Isn't that kind of large? Mm-hmm. And really, what I try to tell most of my clients is, you know, I charge a pretty healthy fee. Why don't we just let that be enough to say, you know, that you liked the massage, that you pay the full fee? Um, and if they want to do a, a gratuity, then Let's keep it reasonable. You know just keep it small. it does, but thank you. I appreciate what you're saying. But I also don't want to leave the idea that the more you pay me, the more you might get. You know that just is too big of a door to to let them walk through.
2: Especially uh, when you were talking about these packages or things, get really complicated with bartering.
0: Mm-hmm. i Have yeah. done
2: that, and sometimes
0: Bartering's a bad it's, idea. It's a bad
2: idea. <laughs> I still do it from time to time with one mm-hmm. person, and it gets you know it, it gets does. to the point where that confusion, like, mm-hmm. didn't I get still? In, you know, I prefer instead of arguing or getting in trouble, I say I'll give you the other. <laughs> I, <know. laughs> yeah. I just avoid yeah. that, and I prefer to give it instead of getting into conflict of. Yeah. Arguing who, it, who's right, who's wrong.
0: If it can be an easy barter with one massage, then yes. sure. But if mm-hmm. it's if it's like a an addition to your house or something, forget mm-hmm. it. Just pay the money. Yes,
1: <laughs> I use the one in class about getting haircuts, and then the haircut doesn't have the same dollar cost as the massage. And how are we going to equalize that? And then does it become more product or more service, or you know, how do we get it to be balanced out? To Haircuts for every massage. I mean, you know, there's a lot of ways to work it out. But I don't unless, like you're keeping, unless you're keeping, unless you're keeping excellent records, sometimes yeah. it gets a little confusing about who's done what and who still owes. Mm. Melanie, we'd like to thank you so much for being here today. Well, thank you. What we a covered, privilege to be here. We covered a lot of
0: good things. And um, is there information for?
2: Um, any reason. Yeah, exactly. If, you like to share, if, you, if you'd like to share your information, Melanie, a sure. phone number or anything mm-hmm. that you we'll like. We'll put
0: a link on our website for that at okay. massagepodcast.com. Um, any questions uh, regarding anything, you can email us on our contact page or send us a text or a voicemail at 303-656-9860 and like us on Facebook and follow <laughs> us on Twitter and we'll see you in a couple of weeks and i totally recommend wherever whatever state you're in kind of look over their ethics laws and kind of you know check in maybe do some review or an online class or something because we could very easily get into trouble and you never know and on that note have a wonderful day and we'll see you in two weeks
1: thank you for having me today I appreciate it thank you